Praise the Lord. Um, I had a couple of things that I wanted to share, um, but I'm not going to, uh, just because, not for the sake, not because of time, but because I'm just not feeling to. Um, but the one thing that I want to share is just when we were in worship, I'm not sure if you were experiencing it, um, but I was really, the presence of the Lord was really strong in here. Um, and he is, you know, I, I love coming up here and talking about things uh, because he's really getting us ready um, for, you know, uh, this year and what he's getting ready to do to finish out this year. Um, what I, just quickly, what I saw in the room, um, and I, I actually saw it with one person and then kind of like multiplied out, but just angels in here with large drums of oil. Um, just sort of singing about it at the end prophetically, um, but uh, large drums of oil, and they were pouring them on people, and I began to talk to the Lord about it, thinking that he was anointing us for a new season, um, but what I saw that it was doing was the oil was actually like bringing moisture, and it was like, it was bringing like a refreshing uh, to us, um, and so, you know, if, if you were experiencing that tonight with the Lord, that it's amazing, because he's doing great things in our life, um, so let's just pray, because I, I want to get started. I don't want to keep you here all night, and I have just some fun stuff I like to talk about. So Heavenly Father, we worship you this evening. Lord, we know that you're good and that your mercy, it endures forever. Lord, you said that there's nowhere that we can go to escape your love and affection for us. And so tonight, Heavenly Father, we're just asking that you would pour that love out on us. God, we know, Lord, that it's, it's your love, God, that changes us. And it's, it's your presence, God, that brings us and draws us into you. And so Father, we just invite you in tonight. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and just renew our minds, renew the way that we think, change our hearts, God. We desire to be more and more like Jesus. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, God, that it would rest heavily on me. Father, that I would speak, Lord, only the words that you would have me to say. Think only the thoughts that you would have me to think, God, that I'd be able to deliver this message with, with accuracy, Heavenly Father, that the anointing would go and just remove every burden and destroy every yoke. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. Uh, if you've been with us, uh, particularly with me. Hasn't the messages lately been phenomenal? Yeah, I gotta say, it's been like, yeah, hello. Um, my dad has been, that whiteboard, I don't know about you, but that whiteboard is just, it did something to him, and it's phenomenal. Um, maybe it's actually for us, because it's like finally like, oh, I get what you've been talking about all this time, because uh, he's so smart. You know, Caleb last week, the Lord has really blessed us with amazing ministers here, um, and, you know, I want to encourage you in that because, you know, a lot of the times what can happen is because we have so many ministers, uh, it, it can sometimes be a little bit difficult to grab a hold of what God is doing. But how many of you know God is always sowing a thread in everything that he does and says? Um, and, and I believe that, not saying that I'm going to define the thread because, you know, I'm not nearly that great. Um, but I feel like uh, what the Lord has been really speaking to me about goes along with what the Lord is trying to do in this season. You know, I, was, I had an opportunity to lead prayer last night with everybody. I had fun. I hope that you did too. Um, and, you know, I was just inspired to begin to talk about things at the very beginning. I think I took half the prayer time talking. Um, and little did you know, you got a message with prayer. Um, but uh, I began talking about really the season that we're in right now and the, the season of Teshuvah that we're in. And, and as I was kind of talking about it, the Lord was talking to me and, and I began to just hear, you know, what he's saying in this season of Teshuvah. And I began to talk about the, this, the time that we're in right now, which is one of the feasts is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's a really uh, an amazing time. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was talking about it is that one of the things that Jewish people will do as they're in this season is they, they make these, basically these houses outside of their actual house. And the cool thing about the houses is that they have no roof. 
And it's a, it's a prophetic symbolism of the fact that as they're in this season of Teshuvah, that they believe that they're entering into a season where there is no see, there's nothing between them and heaven that they are experiencing what we would normally call an open heaven, that God and them, they believe that they're in this season, there is a uniting of man and God, that God literally comes to earth and gets them ready for all the things they're going to experience in this next season. Can I get an amen? amen. It's okay to say amen, people. You know, it's good. It actually like feels good when you say amen. It's like, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. So anyways, we're talking about this season, and I began to think about it, and um, as, you, as you've know, been with me for the last couple of weeks, you know that the Holy Spirit, uh, he's done a holy hijack on my messages lately, um, and uh, it's been really different for me. It's really been uncomfortable, if you haven't noticed, uh, because I'm very used to things that, you know, I have my comfort zone in preaching, and you know, we always say like, Lord, have your way, and then he has his way, and you're like, Lord, please, like, have mercy on me, because I look like an idiot up here. But uh, as, as I began to do it, it was, uh, you know, we've been talking about this message of grace and understanding this concept of grace because we know that the reason ultimately that Jesus came to the earth was to release to us grace. Hey, I'm going to go. I'll preach over here. I said, you know, the reason that Jesus came to the earth today was because he wanted to release to us grace. <laughs> We're getting better. We're getting there. He wanted and needed to restore to us our position in God of where God created Adam to be, where there would be no separation between heaven and earth. There would be no separation between God and man. In fact, we see Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples to pray, he tells them, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what, on earth as it is in heaven. He's telling them to literally pray that heaven would invade earth. That is what the message of grace is all about. I'm not really sure how we got into this whole thing of like, you know, grace, you know, you could do whatever you want to do in grace. You know, I guess maybe there is that sprinkled in there, but I believe that if we think that that's what grace is all about, we've diminished the message of grace so much because ultimately what grace did is he literally made you Jesus here on the earth, right? He gave you his name, which the word says is the name above every name. The message of grace is simply that, that you have all of heaven backing you in everything that you do. That's the message of grace, that God is not just with you. In the Old Testament, God was with people. You know, he would say that he was with David or he's with Isaiah. But because of what Jesus did, the grace of God, that, that reconnection to the Father, now God, the Holy Spirit, can live in us. That we don't have to go somewhere. We don't have to go to a tabernacle to find him any longer. But the scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, the good news of grace is that God is with us. He's in us. The scripture says it like this, that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of you. And so like I was saying, he hijacked my message because how many of you know that when God is saying something, he doesn't always just want to keep saying the same thing? 
And this is sometimes hard for me because, you know, like I said, I like my, the roads that I go down in. And I wanted to preach this grace message from an understanding of what I already got. And I was, you know, really trying to push against the Holy Spirit because I wanted to go one way. And somehow in the midst of it, you know, he made my message go totally a different direction. It was like last week, Wednesday, I'm thinking like, I don't even understand how I got here. And finally I clued in, wait a minute, maybe God's trying to say something to us. Sometimes he likes to, you know, he likes to just hop in there and do what he wants to do. And so as I began to think about, you know, Lord, what are you doing? You know, as you interrupted two of my services, you know, you think I would have got it after the first time, but I didn't, you know, second time's a charm. I think it's third time's a charm. This will not happen tonight in Jesus' name. Um, But as I began to talk about this message, the Lord began to speak to me about the connection between grace and relationship. If you were here with me last Wednesday, that was essentially the end of the message that we got to, is understanding that grace begins to flow at the moment of relationship, right? That sometimes we can use such fancy words like grace and, and believing and, and trust and, and faith, and, and it's almost like we feel as though those are entities unto themselves. But really, if you go back to discover what the words are about, right, we understand that all of those words have their root in relationship, yeah. right? Like the word faith is all about believing, and how do you believe someone? Well, you get to know them right? Grace is all about God and understanding God. And how do you get to know and understand God? Well, you have a relationship with him, right? And and so as I began to go down this road is that the Lord began to unfold to me this, a, a really a fresh understanding of what this word relationship is all about in relation to, as we talk about faith, because we know that my dad has been doing an amazing job talking to us about faith and understanding the message of faith, because as you know, we've been talking about since the beginning of this year, that this is the year of faith, but I believe that you know, the undercurrent of what God is desiring to do, and, and I know that everybody means this, but I feel like the Lord is having me to just say it to remind everyone that the undercurrent under all of these things is that faith is not separate from our relationship with the Lord. That sometimes what we want to do is we like to keep things in their nice little contained boxes. You know, we like to look at my dad's little, you know, confession curve on his pretty little graph. And we like to keep that separate away from, you know, all these other things. And we try to compartmentalize God. But how many of you know that God, the scripture says that we are one, right? That the message of Christ is one. It's not a whole bunch of small things. It is one message, and that message is Jesus came here. Why? So that we could be reunited to the Father and and brought back into our position here on the earth. Right? That's the reason God gave us a purpose, and he gave it to Adam, and he said to subdue and have dominion over the earth. Right? Jesus came so that we could be reinstated back into that position. Okay? Are you with me? Am I going too fast or am I just like blowing your mind right now? Because that's cool. Be quiet if I'm blowing your mind. That's awesome. Okay? And so we all know that the scriptures that talk to us about grace. I mean, if you've been going to church for any length of time, right, you know that in the last probably 10 years, you know, churches have been flooded with this message of grace. And so we all know the messages of grace. But the thing that I discovered was that in order to experience the grace of God, We have to have relationship with God, okay? In order for me to step into the personhood and the the relate and the almost the the place that God has put me, the requirement is on me and in the relationship that I have. And in order for me to have relationship with God, there has to be a level of this word that I like to call trust. 
trust. You know, this word trust is, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine just the other day, and we were talking about that, this, this idea of trust. And, and what does it look like to trust the Lord? What does it look like to trust? And it, it's funny how, you know, if you take a concept like this, and it's like you can go back and read the Bible all over again, looking through the eyes of trust and be like, wow, it's like this has a whole new meaning to me. You know, it's like the scripture that talks about faith and action, right? And that you can't have one without the other, but when you have the two of them, right, that's how you know you have real faith. Well, when you have faith, right, and I trust in God, I trust with that faith, the corresponding, act, the, the corresponding action is going to be action, right? And so as, we, as I move forward in this, is, is I want to, you know, it, my, my desire is to help us to understand that, yes, we need the charts, and we need the points, and we need the one, two, threes, and the ABCs to understand these things, but they will never take the place of our relationship with Jesus. Never. I mean, we're going to go through it today and discover that really every great person who ever did anything even halfway decent for the Lord, they were known as people of relationship. Because you see, that's what we were created for. You and I, we were created for relationship. You know, there was that study that Caleb alluded to. If you haven't watched that Brene Brown thing, you need to go and watch it. It's phenomenal. And she talked about this human, this innate human need for belonging, for relationship, to be a part of a community, to be, to be a part of something, that we were created to have relationships, that in the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve, the scripture says that he would what? Walk in the cool of the day with Adam. That God desired relationship with us more than anything. He desired someone that he could pour his love and his life out onto. You see, we weren't created to be minions. You know, we're not these, you know, little things that this great guy in the sky uses to get his work done. We weren't created like robots or, you know, worker ants. He created us so that he could have someone to love. His desire more than anything else in each of our lives is that he would be able to pour his endless supply of love on us in every area of our life. The scripture talks about in Romans chapter 8, literally the best chapter ever written in the Bible. I think. Personally. Maybe it just speaks to me. But at the end of that scripture, Paul goes on to say that there's absolutely nothing, that God's love is so burning intensely for us, that there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from this love. There's nothing the power of his love is so intense. There's, I think it's in Proverbs that it talks about that, that you, know, you could go to the deepest depths and, and he'll be there. You could you know, climb to the highest mountain and he's already there. That, that in everything and through everything, his desire is to pour his love on us. And sometimes we can walk through life and we miss out on the blessing of experiencing the love of, a, of our creator, of our father. That we can go through life trying to desperately get things to work. And meanwhile, all God is doing is he's asking us, will you just come and spend some time with me? You see, Jesus was known by this. The scripture would say that, you know, he, uh, he would be, you know, up all night praying. Or he would, be, he would go away to himself 
to spend time with the Lord. We were created for relationship with the Father. And we're first called to be that. You may be a businessman, you may be a preacher, you may have this big dream, but first and foremost, we were called to be lovers of God. It's like I was saying, I was talking to my friend the other day, and we were having a conversation about all these things, and talking about the journey that we go through in life, because how many of you know we all go through journeys, right? We all experience new things, and you know, you might feel like you're so different, but I promise you, you're really not different. We kind of all go through the same things, but the devil lies to us to try to make us feel like we're the only one and nobody understands you. You know, you have that thought, but it's not true. We all experience the same things. We were talking about this the other day, and it came up in the conversation. Uh, you know, I used the, probably the scariest scripture in the Bible, and it's found in Matthew 16, 25, and it says this, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But when you lose your life, then you're going to find it. You know, I think that's the scariest verse in the whole Bible. It's, it's like it terrifies me to think about this concept that you mean that I have to lose my life in order to find it. You know, and so often in churches, it's been used as this thing. It's, you know, it's a preach, you know, lay your life down. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, I think we all want to. You know, when I'm in worship, I think that's the main thing that I tell the Lord. You know, God, I give it all to you. And then I wake up on Monday morning and I'm like, yeah, you know, there was actually a proviso on that. And like, you know, we're going to have, right? We all feel this way. We get in the presence of the Lord and I experience the intense love of my father. But then I wake up the next day and I'm so desperate that something would change in my heart. But I think for so long, we haven't understood how to get, how do I get the love of God to get in me? Like, I don't just want to feel it out here. I want to feel it in here. I want it to ooze out of me and everything that I do, everywhere that I go, that I would be known like John. I want to be known as a lover. The Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. It's already been put there. But the question is, how do we begin to get it out? So like I said, I'm having this conversation with this friend of mine. And I'm talking about this, you know, talking to her. I'm kind of coaching her through some stuff. Not really coaching. We're just having a conversation. And um, you know, I'm talking to her about this because... You know, we all go through this season, right? And, we, and you're continually going to go through this for the rest of your life where, you know, you come up against the wall and, you know, you butt your head a couple of times. You know, some people butt it more than others. I don't know why. And uh, eventually you come to the place where you realize there's nothing that I could do to get over this except the fact that I learned how to trust the Lord in this area of my heart. There's, you know, maybe before it was, I could do a whole bunch of other things. You know, maybe I could like ram my head through the wall. But eventually there comes this moment where we stand at a crossroads. And I think this is the message, this is the beauty of grace. Because sometimes we like to feel like, you know, when you come to the fork in the road, like we have to make the right decision. And when we make the right decision, God is happy with us. That's not true at all. That's what I was saying to this friend of mine is that you, basically what you're doing is you're experiencing is you've come to a fork in the road right now and you're basically choosing, I'm either going to go at it God's way, I'm going to lose my life, 
or I'm going to go out of the other way to the place where I'm going to, you know, take my own life and make something happen. And I said to her, the reality is, is you have to accept that God loves you the same amount whatever road you choose, okay? And, and let that free you up. Because I feel like sometimes what happens to us so often is we're so afraid of doing things wrong that we're afraid to be vulnerable and we need the vulnerability in order to be able to trust the Lord. God doesn't care whether you're right or wrong. Can I say that again? You didn't get that. God doesn't care. It's like when Isaac, if he was the run in here, Robin Destiny's son. How many of you, when he's running, you know, he's walking, eight months old, he's tall, he's coordinated. Hello, MBA, right? What up? <laughs> I'm praying for you. Pray for Rob. How many of you would feel like, you know, here's the deal. This is Rob. It's not Rob because Rob is amazing, but it's, let's say it was Rob. Isaac is running and he's walking. He's, love you, Isaac. You're so good. And then when Isaac falls, Rob spanks him <laughs> and says bad things to him and walks away from him. Doesn't, doesn't love him anymore. How many, how many of you would feel like that is, how, that's real? Like, yeah, I, I, that's, uh, uh, that's pretty good. But sometimes we think that of the Lord. And the issue with that is, is it steals and robs our ability to be vulnerable. Anyways, I'm going on tangents. It's good because we're, we're having fun here, okay? I'm telling myself, we're having fun here. <laughs> I'm getting free, amen. Okay, and so like I was saying, I'm having this conversation and, and I'm talking to her about this fork in the road because, you know, what we're, we're understanding is, is that this life and this understanding of grace is ultimately that we begin to lose control of our own lives. That's what it's all about. All about, you know, when you get into a relationship, right, like Mike and Jess, right, they're married. And how many of you know, for those of you that are married, I'm almost married, and so I guess I will know soon. I had a breakfast the other day with my dad and Mr. Trinder, and uh, they were telling me that, yeah, you sound so good. Woo, we'll talk to you in a year from now, right? Because, like, I guess they know something that I don't know, Okay. <laughs> But the reality is, is that you the more that you want to be in relationship with someone, the more that you have to accept the fact that you're going to lose control. Is it not true? How good and how well will a marriage be when both people refuse to give up control? Isn't that probably what happens in the world today? People refuse to give up control, and because they refuse to give up control, the relationship doesn't last. But sometimes, it, it, you know, in my own life at least, you know, I'll pose this to you. Maybe you find yourself in this place. We feel like we don't want to give up control of our lives to the Lord. That we're afraid to give up control to the Lord. And because of that, we never enter into the grace. Because the grace of God is all about believing in the fact that God is good. So we never actually enter into the grace of God. We keep control of our own lives. And the result of it is we wonder, where is God? The only way that we can enter into this relationship with the Father is if we choose to lose control. Lose control. Sometimes these are scary words. You know, I come to you, you just, you need to lose control. We say it almost as a bad thing. You know, when someone is just like wilding out, like freaking out somewhere, like, oh, that dude has lost control, Right? <laughs> But that's what the scripture is all about, right? Matthew 16, 25 says, is that if you try to save your life, 
If you try to keep control of your own life, what is the scripture? You'll, you'll, never, you'll never find it. You can't be in control and expect to discover life. But the scripture says, if you lose control, it goes on to say, for my sake, for Jesus' sake, then you'll find this life that you're looking for. You see, all of us are searching for life. That's what we want. That's why we're here. But life comes when we choose to give up control. And so why am I saying that this is the scariest verse? Because in order for us to lose control, we have to trust. It's the truth. It's like if I'm driving down the road and my dad's like, close your eyes, I'm going to drive. I would do it no problem. Because I trust, well, most days. <laughs> no, all the time. I trust that he's not going to do anything that was going to bring me harm. But now, you get me into a car with somebody who's maybe expressed to me that they want to hurt themselves or hurt me. And they're like, hey man, close your eyes. Like, I promise I'm not going to do anything to hurt you. I want to be like, yeah, right. Put your seatbelt on and I'm going to tape you to the, the seat, right? Well, because I don't trust you. And because I don't trust you, I'm not going to give you control. I'm not going to give you control. But you see, as we're trying to walk across this line into the grace of God, because the scripture says what? How do I get into the grace? John 15 tells us, right, that when, when I'm in you and you're in me, when there is no, there's no separation. Uh, I have it in my notes here. I'm jumping around because this is fun. Um, in John chapter 17, Jesus says the same thing, right? It's his final prayer before he's getting ready to be crucified. And he says, Father, I pray that they will be one with us as I am one in you. His desire is that there would be no walls. There would be no separation, that it would be this place of absolute vulnerability and trust. And as we step into that place of vulnerability and trust, now the scripture says, now I find life. And so we see this, story, this concept at work in the story of the prodigal son. This is a great story. I feel like you can use it for any message. You'll, you could find the message in the prodigal son. But we know the story of the prodigal son, and the father has these two sons, okay? We have the older brother and the younger brother, okay? And both of them in this story, they lack trust or an understanding of the nature of the father. Now, although it expresses itself in two absolutely, completely polar opposite ways, both of them are evidence of the same heart condition, that they have separated themselves from the Father because they don't understand the nature of the Father. That if they would have understood the nature of the Father, neither of them would have responded the way that they responded. So let's take a look at this. Um, so the younger son, right, we know that he was the one who went to his father and said, hey, dad, half of what you own is mine, and so I want it. Give it to me, I'm going to take it. He took the money, and he went off, 
and made something happen with his life all by himself. Sounds like a lot of people that I know. I had this. I call it the revelation of the old basketball. It's this defining moment that I had in my kitchen one day. Me and my sister Jess were talking, and I was saying that I was struggling. This was probably two years ago or something like that, three years ago. And I was struggling so intense because of what God has been asking me to do. And I said to him, I said to her, this is how I feel. I said, imagine God that I'm a basketball and I'm perfectly good basketball. I'm pumped up to like the perfect, you know, inflation point. The PSI is perfect for dribbling. And I'm perfect sitting on the shelf. But I feel like God is choosing to just let me sit on the shelf. That I'm absolutely perfect to be used, but I feel like he's just sitting me on the shelf because he wants to. And I said, it's so frustrating because I feel like just either use me or let me go and do something on my own because at least I could make something happen with my life on my own. What was I? I, was, I was this first son. I was the other son too, but for this point <laughs> in my life, I was this son. <laughs> I've been like every bad story in the Bible at some point in my life. I'm like, oh, I see myself there, and there, and there, and there, right? right? Okay. Because you see, what happens in our life so often is we, f- we have that sensation, just like I did, the old basketball. We want to make something, like the prodigal son in this story, he wanted something to happen in his life. And because he didn't understand the nature of the father, he cut and ran. He came up to this wall where he had to be vulnerable to say, I'm going to choose to lay my life down for you. And he couldn't do it. He was at that fork in the road where you could either lose your life or save your life. So this is the first son. He didn't trust his father's intentions. So he took his life into his own hands. He thought that the grass was greener on the other side. that he could do it better, that he knew what he wanted and he knew how to make his dreams. But we know the end of the story. wasn't long before he spent all of his money trying to find happiness. But he couldn't. So we know he ends up in a pig pen and makes his way back home. The second son also didn't understand the nature of his father because we know that it seemed like through the whole story that he was the good son stuck around, worked hard for his dad in the field. But then he makes this statement. Um, What is the statement that he made? (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) He said, listen, dad, I've, I've done this. Like, I've been with you. I've been in the fields. I've worked hard for you. Done all the things that you asked me to do. And paraphrasing, you gave him the reward. You wouldn't even give me a sheep that I could, you know, have a little cookout barbecue with my friends. But you gave him, the other guy, the fatted calf. You see, he also 
didn't understand the nature of the father. And because of that, he began to resent his dad. How many of you know that thought didn't just pop into his head one day? You know, he was in the fields. Oh, I don't know why my dad, where's my dad right now? I think that all the time when I'm doing stupid stuff around my house. Like, this is my dad's house. What the heck am I doing here? This is ridiculous. We need another garden? My God. We got like 50 trees here. I'm, it's, it's, it's stewed in him. And then all of a sudden, it came out. He tried to earn love from his father by the actions that he was doing for his father. He was a performance-driven son. But then the father makes this statement, and I believe he probably made the statement to both of his sons, although we only hear it said to the second son. He said this, Beloved, I'm with you, and all that I have, everything that is mine is yours. But if you would have gotten to know me, if you would have stepped into this relationship with me, if you would have been with me and, and heard my heart, you would have understood that you didn't have to cut and run. You didn't have to be afraid that if you laid your life down for me, that I wasn't going to give it to you. In fact, as you could tell from the story, I don't know why the first son didn't realize when he went to his dad and asked for the money, he should have been like, whoa, ding, ding, obviously my dad is going to, but he didn't. Everything. You could have it all. And to the other son, he would say, there's nothing that you have to do in order to earn my love. Nothing in this world could make me love you any more, and nothing could make me love you any less. You see, they didn't understand the nature of the father, and the result of it was they didn't experience the blessing. Okay, I'm going to close with this. Which one do I want to close with? They're all so good. This is why the Apostle Paul said this. This guy who literally wrote the book on grace. Jesus manifested himself to him to teach him about this concept of grace. And his response to it was this. I want one thing. He said, I want to know you. I want to know you. He understood that the doorway to grace is I want to know you. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I want to know you in your bigness, in your glory. I want to know who you are. But I also want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. Because when I see the depth that you are willing to go, I understand what I mean to you. You see, relationship with God is not just knowing him, knowing about him. It's about understanding who we are to him. Because you see, so often when we want a miracle, it's not hard for us to believe that God does miracles. I mean, we see them happen all the time. You know those things that you get angry about when you hear other people tell you? Those miracles. Just kidding. None of us get angry at those things. Just kidding. We believe that God does these things, 
But it always comes back to the question, will you do it for me? And so what does this look like? Like I said, I'm closing with this. Hope you've enjoyed this so far. How do we, how do we change this? Okay, this is actually my whole message, this, my closing point. Is I believe that what we've done in Christianity in the faith process is we've looked at the blessing rather than look at the blessor. Okay, let me explain what I mean. Let's take somebody who's believing for prosperity in their life, as probably most of us are here, to go to a greater degree. And we would use this scripture, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, amen, brother. And when I say that scripture, my focus is on supplying my needs. That's my focus. I want money and God saying he's going to supply my needs. And so my focus is on supplying my needs. But I'd like for us to make a little bit of a tweak. I think that when we begin to go after these scriptures, we need to focus on my God. Yeah, my God. That's right. It's a real black thing. We shift our focus onto my God. Because I tell you something, the doorway that the enemy uses on all of us is I could make my, my gosh, I was flying money as a queen's riches and glory. I could make that confession a thousand times and get so hyped up about it. But because I haven't focused on that, that's the nature of my father. All the enemy has to do is pop into my head one moment and say, he'd never do that for you. He'd never do it for you. He doesn't, he doesn't care that much about you. He, could, he couldn't do that in your life. You've dug yourself into too deep of a hole. He can't, he can't get you out of this. You don't have the right relationships in your life, so there's no way that God could get you the money. And immediately, boom. Because we lacked the understanding of the nature of our Father. Immediately, the, wor- the, the Word says that Satan comes and he steals the Word. And so I think we should do it like that. And when I make that confession, and I've been doing this in my life lately, and it's been definitely changing things, is I'm focusing on my God. And experiencing what it feels like that his delight in me, like I'm not even getting excited about the fact that in my visions as I meditate through things that I get the money in the end. Although that's fun. I allow the excitement in my heart to arise when I experience the way that my father feels about me. Because you see, one of the things that I discovered is this. When we understand the way that God feels about us, I promise you something, you're not going to have to, you know, go after the revelation of finances one day, the revelation of healing the next day, the revelation of relationships the next day. We're going to bypass all those things because I'm going to understand the nature of my father. It it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to bring at me. He tells you that I'm sick. (laughs) My dad would never let that happen to me. You're not going to be able to pay that bill. That's ridiculous. My dad would never let me lose my house. You're going to get a divorce. 
That would never happen. My dad, he, he made human beings, and so obviously he knows how to make us get along. <laughs> what happens? All of a sudden, it's not about the, let me try and flip through the Bible so I can find it. No, it's, it's my dad. My dad would never let that happen to me. You think that my dad would let me get cancer? You think that my dad would let me get broke? You think that my dad would let my relationships fall apart? That would never, that's so against his nature, he would never let that happen to me. You see, the, the reason for the scriptures is not so that, catch this, the Bible would become a holy crutch. Where now I just rifle through it, trying to find something that's going to appease my mind for the moment. No, the scripture was given to us so that we could understand who our father is. It was, that's why it was given. I read this not so that I find a nice thing to say. That I could make this great confession card that I can just say all the time. Although all those things are amazing, but not at the expense that we don't develop relationship with our dad. Amen? Okay, Heavenly Father, oh, we love you so much. Our dad is the best dad. That's what Jamie always says. Our dad is the best dad in the whole world. Lord, you're just good. We just rest in that this evening, Lord. You're good. You're good. You're the beginning and the end. You saw the beginning of our life and the end of our life, and you said that it was good. So we rest in that, Father. Your affection and love towards us. Like you said, if you wouldn't even stop at sacrificing your own son, what, what else would you not do for us? What else would you not do for us? So we receive, we receive your love, a touch from your love tonight, Lord. That you just come in, Father, and just invade our mind, invade our lives. Where we thought it was about something that we have to do or say or be. Where we've had fear about your nature or your desires for us. Where we've questioned who you are, Lord. Tonight we choose to step across that line that losing our life isn't scary. It's the best thing that we can do. I don't have to keep control of my own life. You said in Jeremiah that you knew me in my mother's womb before I was even formed and you've mapped out the course of my life. You said that your plans for me are good and only good. rest in that. We rest in knowing that you're with us, that you're for us, that you're Jehovah Jireh. You're our provider. You're our banner. You're our peace. You're our Savior and our Lord. You're the way maker. You said that we can trust in you and you'll make our path straight. You said you're the light unto our feet and the lamp unto our path. You said you're the good shepherd and you lead us beside the still waters. 
that you restore our soul. You've been there. That you put your life in us. And so we receive that resurrection life.